we were done with our prayer time um, to uh, get into it, and um, we were talking about the Good Samaritan and how the priest uh, had uh, no concern uh, for the lost. The concern that he had was superficial at best, and uh, the fact that he was the priest and he was one of the upper fellows, more than likely, I mean, it would, I would be very shocked if he didn't give to the poor as far as through the uh, the means of the synagogue there and, and uh, gave his, his tithe to the poor that he was uh, supposed to. And I'm sure he went through the letter of the law as to what he was supposed to do in those areas. But when he came across a man that had a real need, he didn't meet him. Didn't even, didn't even really slow down. The Bible says that he just, when he saw him, he just passed by the other side. No, no, uh, no big deal about that. And then the Levite comes along. And the Bible says he looked upon him. So there's, there's a little bit difference there. And I think that that indicates. Now, again, some people may say, well, you're reading something in there. And that's fine. I, I'm telling you what I think about it. But that little phrase, the fact that he looked upon him, I, I kind of get this idea that it, it caused him to pause, caused him to have some concern, caused him to say, boy, somebody ought to help that guy. And, uh, and that's where a lot of us, uh, I say a lot of us, a lot of Christians, uh, in, in, especially in the United States of America, because we've become so materialistic, that's where a lot of Christians are. They're, they're either uh, in the level of the priest or the Levite, and those are the two that were Jews that should have uh, had compassion on this man, who was also a Jew that had fallen by the wayside and been beaten half to death. And, um, and of all the people that should have been willing to help, it should have been his own brethren. And uh, yet uh, they, they were not concerned, and, or one was not concerned, the other one perhaps had some concern. And then we had the Samaritan, and the Samaritan, the Bible says, was moved with compassion. When he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He didn't just uh, uh, look at the fellow, he, he saw. His, his eye affected his heart. And uh, really we got into the idea that missions, the heart of missions is that we see the lost the way that the Lord Jesus Christ sees them. That the same desire that God has to see men and women saved ought to be the same desire that you and I have to see men and women saved. Somebody said this one time, and I, and I, I, think, I think they're very right on this. That if we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, then we will love the things that God loves. I think of it even in our human relationships. Think about the people that you love the most. And while there are some things that you may not love a whole lot, you love it because they love it. Um, I do not like going to amusement parks. I just don't. Not my cup of tea. It just isn't. My kids are like, Dad, you'll love this roller coaster. And I might have when I was a kid. There might have been an adrenaline rush here. But I'll be real frank with you. A roller coaster does not hold a whole lot of weight with uh, It doesn't hold a whole lot of weight with me. But you know what I'm saying. It does. I, it's just not a... It's not appealing to me. Uh, I'd rather sit over there on the old man's bench. Now, that's my, my enjoyment there in the shade with a cup of sweet tea. And I'm talking with a lot of sugar in it. Um, and that's my, I don't like the noise. I don't like the crowds. I just don't like it. But I'll take my kids to an amusement park because I love watching them love it. And I'll be involved in it because I love what they love. Not that I love it in and of itself, but I love that they love it. And that, that's, that's an idea that as Christians we need to understand that if God's heart is for the lost, if His whole reason for coming here, He loved them so much that He came to this earth, if that's where His heartbeat is, then shouldn't that be where our heartbeat is? And uh, 
I think that that's really the heart of the missions issue. When we look at missionaries here at Keith Ice Baptist Church, I don't want us to look at how dynamic they are. I don't want us to look at how well-dressed or how sharp they present. That seems to be the things that we judge about our missionaries. You get a guy that comes in here, and he's like the Ben Stein of, of, of missions, and he's dry, and he speaks with his head down, and he's nervous. and he, he, That man may be one of the most powerful tools on the mission field that's ever been. And what we many times look at is the outward. I want to see the man's heart. I want to see what he, what he thinks about souls. And uh, so these are things that as we look at missions and as we look at our missionaries, uh, these are things we want to see as qualities in our missionaries. So I'm going to give you three things that I believe uh, are uh, kind, of, kind of give us some biblical, uh, a biblical framework, if you will, to build on uh, regarding missions. Number one, we're going to start with the purpose of missions. Why do we even involve ourselves with missions as a church? Wouldn't it be enough for us to just sit here in Festus, Missouri and say, okay, this is the corner of the world that God has put us in. Why do we even have a missions program? Well, uh, let's, let's think about, uh, Matthew chapter number 28. If you'll go there for a moment, we're going to come right back to Matthew 25. So hold your place there for a minute. Matthew chapter 28. And I want you to look with me at, uh, verse number 19. As Jesus says, go ye therefore and teach Festus, Missouri. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It says what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Why do we get involved in missions? Can I make it pretty simple for us? Because God told us to. There's a couple times that I've asked my kids to do, well, no, let me rephrase that. There's been a couple times I've told my kids to do something. And uh, occasionally, I get uh, that one-word question that so many parents are familiar with. What was it? Oh, you get them too, huh? (laughs) Ah, okay. Why? And we know our reason, right? We know our purpose. And so we sit there for about 20 minutes and we explain why, right? Or, as any good parent would, we say, <laughs> you've been there. Okay, I'm not, I'm not the only one. Because God said so. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. The Bible says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Why do we get outside of the walls of this church? Why do we uh, support and pray for and get involved with folks that are an extension of our ministry to help reach souls for Christ? Because God told us to. There's no other reason needed. We can say, well, it's because we have great compassion for the lost. I hope we do. But the only reason we need is God told us to. God told us to be involved in this. Now look with me in Matthew chapter number 25. And I want us to read some verses here. Matthew chapter number 25. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 35. Peter said unto him... uh, I'm sorry, I got the wrong chapter. (laughs) There we go. uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. Now this is the Lord Jesus speaking. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger... And you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. 
Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. What is the pattern of missions? We understand our purpose, why we get involved in it. What is our pattern? Our pattern is to meet the needs, primarily spiritual, but secondarily physical. We are to meet the needs of those that are in need. Now, that may be here in Festus, Missouri. That may be here in the state of Missouri. That may be here in the United States, or it may be overseas. But we are to be involved in meeting those needs. Why? Because if we do it unto, the Bible says, the least of these, it's the same as if we've done it to God Himself. We've done it to God Himself. So what's the pattern of, of, of missions? We go around. Our heart is what Christ's heart is, and that is to see the lost come to a saving knowledge of Him. We find those that are broken, whose lives are wrecked. We find those that are sin-sick. We find those that are thirsting and hungering uh, for something that they're missing in their life, and they don't even know what it is, and we share that with them. And so we find that we are to meet the needs of these folks. And just as Jesus, in Matthew chapter number 9, went to the man, or had the man that was sick with the palsy, and he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And it was not until those that were watching and were listening had questioned whether he could even do that or not, that he, whether he was the Son of God or not. He said, Whether it is easier to say, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise and go into thine house, he said, or go into the, uh, thine house. He said, Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed. And here's the great truth of that. that. God is far more concerned, and the priority of missions should always be to reach the heart of the man first. That will be the highest priority. Now, sometimes that takes dealing with their physical condition. Sometimes that takes showing our caring for them. And missions ought to be a part of that. So we have a pattern here, and Jesus speaks of it. Certainly, we would not question Christ's heart on the soul of man. We know that. But yet he also tells them, listen, I want you to go beyond that. I want you to feed them. I want you to clothe them. I want you to give them to, to drink. I want you to care for their needs. And this is the, 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 the uh, pattern of missions in, um, in, in, the, uh, in, in the Bible. Now, uh, look with me in John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13 and verse number 35. And then we're going to give you uh, kind of a breakdown here of uh, several areas that I believe ought to be seen in every missionary that we support. John chapter 13, and look with me in verse number 35. Let's back up to verse number 34. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have what? Loved you. And that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have what? Love one for another. So we understand our purpose. The reason why we are to get involved is because God told us to. We understand our pattern. We're to have a heart and a desire to see them come to Christ. 
were to help them in their need. And then I want you to notice this, the motivation of missions. What is it that motivates and drives a missionary to continue to, to work and to labor when there's opposition, there's trials? And the truth of the matter is, it's love. It's love. I, I, would, be, I, I, would, be, I would be a little hesitant, I think I would say, would be the best way to word this. I would be a little bit of he, have a little bit of hesitancy in uh, considering and supporting a missionary whose only motivation is obedience to Christ. There's no, there's no passion there. There's no drive. There's no motivation other than I've got to be obedient. You get a servant who's only focused on the obedience, and you get a servant that when things are difficult will be resentful to God. I'll do it, Lord, because I've been told to. And they resent it. There ought to be in the heart of a missionary a heart of love. And that ought to be the motivating factor, first to God Himself, and secondly to those who He's reaching, the people. And so when people come and they present their ministry, I want to see their heart for God. I want to see, I want to see a family who loves God with all their heart. I mean, they just are, are, are enthralled with who God is, and, and they are in love with uh, God, and they walk with Him daily, and their, their lives reflect that. And then they get up here and they, they share about uh, the mission field. And different people share their emotions different ways. There may be some that will get up here and weep. There may be some that will get up here and really have passion as they tell about uh, their field. And, and all the things that these people are, are, are enduring on the field that they feel God's called them to. But one thing that we want to look for is, do they have a heart for the mission field, which is the people? I, I was talking to Mark Ayers Sunday, and a little bit of what he said, I believe, sometimes is the case. And I've had missionaries that I believe were in this position, where they loved the thought of being a missionary, but they did not love the people that they were going to serve. They loved the thought of, boy, I'm on deputation, and boy, people are going to, I'm a missionary, and I'm going to go to this field, and and, and you, you hear them talk about the people that they're going to go reach. But you really don't focus or see the, the heart, the burden, the brokenness as they want to reach these people. And so I think when we look at missionaries, these are the kind of qualities that we're looking for. We're not looking for somebody that, um, I, I want to be how, careful how I say this. had a missionary one time who was dating a young lady before he got married whose heritage, family heritage, was from a foreign country. In fact, the young lady's immediate family, parental family, were from a foreign country. And it was amazing that this young man was called to that field as he was dating this young lady. And uh, I'm not saying that God can't put that together and use that and say, boy, that was just a divine providence that God did this and put them together and there's that heritage. They went on deputation and they spent a long time getting their support. And when they uh, got to the field, they got them a house and set up their living and for the next six years lived in the country and enjoyed the culture. But did not reach the people. 
you, you talk to this missionary, and, and the truth is, he'd be very passionate about talking about the field that he was going to. But he wasn't passionate about reaching the people. He loved the country. He loved the culture. He loved the, 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 the way that that country functioned. And so we've got to be careful when we look at missionaries that we are not swayed by their passion for the cultural part of the country, the, the, the geographical part of the country. Boy, I just love the weather there, and I, I love the, the, the culture there. I love the government, and I love the freedom. And I, love... I want to hear from them. Do they love the people? Are they broken for the lost in that country? And this is something that I think is very important. Now, missions ought to involve four things. Number one, it ought to involve going. It ought to involve going. And that goes for every one of us, whether we're going to the mission field that's right outside our church doors or whether we're going across over the seas. Missions always involves going. You can't sit in your house and be a missionary. We had one missionary years ago. The entire time he was on the mission field, sat in an office on a computer, and he would send out texts, and he would print up little flyers on his printer and uh, put them put them in as, as ads in the newspaper. And he never went out and met people. He never knocked on doors. He never handed out tracts. And then he scratched his head and he came back on furlough after four years and said, Pastor, I don't understand what's wrong. I sat at lunch with him. I said, do you go out knocking on doors? Well, no, we haven't. Uh, but we did, a, we did a blitz by putting this stuff in the newspaper. I said, Brother, I, we put an ad in our newspaper in Fort Pierce, Florida. We didn't get one response out of it. Spent a lot of money. But boy, I'll tell you what, we've started... We started knocking on doors, and we started handing out uh, uh, tracts to people. We began to handwrite letters personally addressed to people we had met and said, I'm praying for you. Our church is praying for you. We'd sure love to be a help to you at any time. It was amazing how many times those people responded to that. You've got to go. You've got to go. So we want to find a missionary that's a, that's a goer. He, he gets out. He gets out and does things. I would say this, a good test of whether they're doing that or not is are they doing it while they're on deputation? Uh, especially during the COVID time and here shortly after, there's not a lot of meetings. These guys are not packed with their meetings on deputation. And um, so what are they doing? Are they serving in their local church? Are they teaching a Sunday school class? Are they uh, sharing the gospel? Are they giving out tracts? Are they doing things to try to reach people the gospel? Because here's something I've learned over the years. If they're not doing it at home... They're not going to do it on the field. It's hard enough changing cultures and lifestyles and learning a new language. If you're not doing it here, you'll never go ahead and say, well, boy, when I get to the field, I'll do it. They need to be doing it now. They need to be going now. By the way, if we're going to be involved in missions and not just give to missions, we do too. <laughs> We've got to go. All right? Number two, there needs to be preaching. There needs to be preaching. I'm not against uh, what some people refer to as technical missionaries. These are missionaries that support technically missionaries. Um, a dear friend of mine, um, very involved in a ministry that is a ministry to missionaries. And all of the people that work in that particular ministry, and, and they support them by taking supplies to them, bringing their mail to them, doing all the logistical things for uh, a group of missionaries. And uh, But one of the things that I, I was impressed with, and I thought, boy, that's biblical, was that every person that worked in this technical missions group, before they were accepted into that ministry, they had to give a testimony of the fact, 
I'm not just helping to supply things for missionaries. I am a missionary. And when I go to drop off those goods, if there's somebody there, I'm going to share the gospel with them. If a bunch of people come around and they're trying to get their mail and it's a bunch of lost people, I'm going to break out the Bible and start preaching. And these were the kind of people they had involved in that type of ministry. I'm not saying technical ministries are bad. I certainly would not refuse a missionary that was involved in that type of a ministry. But I want to know that he's a missionary. I want to know that he's preaching the gospel. I want to know that he's proclaiming the gospel. Humanitarian work is great, and I think there are times and places that that ought to be part of things that the church is involved in. But first and foremost, we need to reach the souls of men. And the preaching is is paramount to that. They need to be training people. I sat in a missions conference a number of years ago uh, in the state of Texas. And uh, probably a couple, couple thousand people at this missions conference, a large, large missions conference. And a very well-known missionary, one that I knew in, in around fundamental circles, he was known very well. Uh, in a particular country, I'm not even going to tell you the country because you might start guessing and maybe even know who this guy is. But he was one of the, the big speakers that was going to be at this missions conference. And he got up and he preached a message one night, and I think it was the closing night. And he said, God called us to win souls, not to disciple men. And his whole message was, don't waste your time discipling. Just get out here and go from one to the other, winning them to Christ and putting them in the baptistry. Win them to Christ and put them in the baptistry. He said, don't worry about about being uh, discipling. He said, it is the responsibility of the new convert to be discipled not for you to go and disciple him. He needs to seek it out. And I sat there, and there were a lot of preachers shouting and amening. And the sad thing was, there was a lot of young preachers in that meeting that went back to their churches believing what this senior veteran, well-known missionary had said. And the reason he was well-known is, he had a lot of people saved every year. His church wasn't that big. People weren't growing. The Bible tells us very clearly in Matthew chapter 28, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Can I tell you this? A missionary needs to be involved not only in winning people to Christ and then leaving them to their own walk with God. They need to bring them in. They're they're a babe in Christ. Any more than, than when we give birth to children here, we would put them in their crib and walk away and say, well, it's their responsibility to... To, to find their own food. It's their own responsibility to survive on their own and to grow on their own. No, no. We bring them in and we nurture them and we help them along the way. We feed them. We help give them milk until they get strong enough. And then they get to be teenagers and they don't want your help anymore. And they say, I'll learn on my own. And that's, well, I'll tell you, we, we say that as, as parents, we don't like to see that in our teenagers because that means they're growing up. But I'll tell you this, spiritually... You want somebody that says, you know what, thank you for helping me along the way, and I'll, I'll certainly welcome anything else you give me, but I'm able to take it and grow on my own now. And, in fact, I'm going to go out here and find somebody that I can do for them what you've done for me. And I tell you, that's a missionary. And when we look for missionaries and we talk about missionaries that we're going to support, I, I want to see, are they, are they winning people for the sake of putting, we won 25 people and had 15 baptized this month in their prayer letter? Or are they investing in the people? Are they, are they building these people? Are they growing these people? And uh, then uh, there needs to be uh, a ministry of teaching uh, in sound doctrine. 
There needs to be a ministry of teaching in sound doctrine. I shared with you all, and, and I'll end with this, and we'll have to finish next week because I've got a whole other page of notes here yet. Uh, I went to El Salvador a number of years with a dear friend of mine who's a missionary, who was a missionary in El Salvador uh, back in the uh, 80s, 1980s. And uh, they were there for two, two uh, four-year stints, came home in the middle for a short furlough. And after the second four-year stint, the government had a coup and there was uh, some danger there. And even the national churches that they were pastoring said, Brother, you guys need to go back to the States for your own safety and not come back. And so for a number of years, they were here back in the States. And uh, they helped other struggling churches. They continued to work in ministry here in the States to Hispanic-speaking people. And even to this day, up in years, um, they're still faithful to work in Hispanic preaching ministries. I had the joy of going to El Salvador with this fellow, this dear brother, a number of years ago. It's been probably about 15, 18 years ago now. And uh, when we got there, uh, on a Saturday, I believe it was, we went and visited one of the pastors of a church and one of the fellows he had uh, either won to the Lord or knew through a church that he had started came and picked us up at the airport. And on the way to where we were going to be staying, the city we were going to be staying at, which was a couple hours away from the airport, we stopped at probably three or four churches and greeted the pastor and his wife and the folks that were there laboring, getting things ready for Sunday. And every time we went in, they all would hug his neck and they would talk for a little while and then we'd leave and go to the next one. And... Uh, then we went to uh, church on Sunday morning. Sunday morning we started at 8 o'clock in the morning. And we went to the first church that they started there uh, when they first went there as missionaries. Started with just a handful of people. They had a large building and at the 8 o'clock service they had over 700. The, the building seated 700. And they had the, the, the seats were filled and there was an open area in the back of the church and there was probably another 75 or 80 people out on the porch listening through the back wall of the church. We got done with that service, and all those people left, and another 700 came, and another overflow came. And we got done preaching that service. And then he said, well, Greg, I'm going to go. They're going to take me over here to this other church, and I'm going to preach over there. I'm going to let you do this third service at this church and give you an interpreter. And they let me do the third service, and another 700 people came in. And stood in overflow. And then that interpreter said, hey, when you're done, you need to come with me. And we drove about 40 minutes, went to another church down the road. Had about 200 or so in it. And I preached again. And we went again another 40 or so minutes, another church, another 100, 150, 200 or so. Preached again. I lost count. I think I preached eight or nine times that Sunday. I was exhausted. We took a short time for lunch as we were driving from one to the other. At 10 o'clock that night, we got done. The next day, we went to another area of the country where it was much further away, about four or five hours, and went to the second church that my friend started when he went back on his second four years of, of being in El Salvador. I stayed in the same hotel room with him, and at night we would pray and, and have a time of fellowship and God's Word together and uh, we would discuss the missions there. And I said, uh, I said, Brother, how, how did you get to know all of these churches? I know you, you started this church over here and you started this church over here. And you haven't been back for maybe 20 years. 
I said, how do all these other churches know you? And he said, those two churches have started over 70 other churches in 20 years. Doctrinally sound churches. Churches where the pastors won people to Christ. And I'm not talking about 10 or 20. Got a group of young men that they invested their lives in. Trained them in sound doctrine. And then said, listen, we're going to help you go out here and start a church. But we want you to take that church and teach them to do the same thing that we did for you. Seventy Over 70 churches that at that time they had started. I was amazed by that. And he said, you know, Brother Greg, he said, the first church that I preached at that Sunday morning, there was like six or seven preacher boys on the front row up here. He said, every one of those guys is ready to start their church. They're already, they're already trained. They're waiting on the opportunity to go and start a church. And he said that church, that one church, was on track to start a different church, a new church, every ten months. And I came back to the States. And I thought, how many churches has my church started? At that time, after a number of years in ministry, two is all that our church had helped start. Where were, the, where were the line of young men that had been saved, taught, discipled, and trained in sound doctrine to go out and reach others? You say, Brother Greg, does every missionary we support have to be that way? No, I don't think so. Because God extraordinarily blessed in that particular country and with those churches. But I think that ought to be the heart of the missionaries we support. I know missionaries that have supported, that have been on, labored faithfully on a mission field for years. And because of the hardness of the hearts of the people many times, their church doesn't grow very big, but they've been faithful, they've been sound in doctrine, and they've invested their life in the people. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for missionaries that are not just there to live in a, a foreign country. We're not there to support a missionary who just enjoys a foreign culture. We want to find missionaries whose hearts are broken for the people that they're reaching. Not just to see them saved, but to see them discipled, taught in sound doctrine, and then going out and doing the same thing again. We are going to have to take one more week. I'm 15 minutes over, and I've got a whole, one more whole page of notes here. But we will get there, okay? We will get there, so bear with me. Let's uh, stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that you'll bless it and use it. Uh, help us as we look at our missionaries. Lord, I know that every, every individual, every family is, is a different personality. Uh, they express their hearts differently. And so, Lord, we do not take it lightly that when we discuss looking at the heart and those that love you and love the people they're going to reach, we understand and we know that you're going to have to give us wisdom and discernment in the matter. There's going to have to be the leading of your Holy Spirit to help guide and to direct us. And I pray that you would help us as we look at missionaries, as we consider uh, who we would uh, like to be able to support or who you would have us to support, that we would 
be able to make wise choices. And not just based on whether we like how they look or how they act or how they speak. But Lord, may we see their heart. May you give solid and clear direction. May we pray and ask for your guidance. Lord, that we would not just flippantly decide or carelessly decide, but that we would fervently pray for your guidance in this matter. For Lord, the resources that are given to these missionaries are are such that... uh, they need to be put to the best use. They need to be, we need to be good stewards of it. And so, Father, help us and guide us in these things as we look at missionaries in the days and weeks to come, as we look at our missions program. And then, Father, help us, as we've already stated, to not just give our money to missions. Lord, help us to really be involved with our missionaries, to, to be co-laborers with them, to communicate with them, to, to feel their burdens to understand their needs, to pray for them fervently. And so, Father, help us as we work and labor towards um, involving ourselves in our church with our missionaries and give us the guidance that is needed. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.